What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sean Moore, and I am really excited about today's episode in a, a lot of different ways, but this is a milestone episode for us. This is episode 100, so for those of you that have been listening to our podcast and supporting us, sharing us, liking us, reviewing it, we really, really appreciate it. And I'm going to dive in to a little bit different episode today. So I'm going to, um, I've, I've got an about me story, kind of my journey into vacation rental investing and taking you through the whole process, the ups and the downs, me losing everything, and how to bat, how I had to battle back from that. And so this one may be one that you want to watch on YouTube if you're listening to it on the podcast. You definitely will have good audio, but there's going to be a few pauses. There's times where I get a little bit choked up in this interview, um, and so it was um, it was a fun one to put together. Some of you have seen my story. If you haven't. I'm going to dial back the clock, take you through my journey into ultimately what came into vacation rental investing and me starting Bodicey. So I hope you enjoy. May 16th, 2011. This date is etched into the depths of my soul. That day changed everything I thought I knew about life. The man I had been to that point was gone forever. Life is not one big event. It's a series of events that ultimately define our legacy. We're 15 years old. I asked Teresa out to homecoming. We ended up going to the football game the night before the dance. And back in those days, in the 90s, you had the girls with the big poofy hairdos and they would go through a can of hairspray every single day doing their hair. And so it was a big deal that at the homecoming game, it was pouring cats and dogs. And the rain's coming down, she's getting completely drenched, her hair's a mess, and her makeup's running. And I just remember standing there thinking, I can't believe, I'm like with this angel, like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And at that time, I, I just knew this is somebody that I want in my life forever. I don't know how else to explain it. I'm 15 years old. I know nothing about girls. I'd never even kissed a girl before. And at the time, I'm just thinking there's something about her that I just am drawn to. That was the beginning of this new journey together. And for, fast forward eight years, we ended up going to college together. We ended up getting married. Right after Teresa and I got married, and we were just graduated college, I actually got hired as a sales rep for a steel service company. And, and basically my job was to sell big truckloads of steel to manufacturing organizations. And the headquarters of this company was in Colorado. And so we ended up packing up and moving to Denver to, to go through this job. Teresa and I have always been interested in, you know, bigger plans, bigger dreams. Like what can we do to make a million dollars, right? Back in the day. And, you know, I was making $31,000. And so I wanted to do something else. And we've always been attracted to different opportunities along the way. And at the time, we would spend a lot of times in, in Barnes and Noble. And so we'd go to the bookstores and we'd go in the money-making section. And one of the topics that was always in the money-making section was real estate investing. We've always been in, kind of exposed to and interested in real estate investing. Just didn't think it was really in the cards for us to do it because I didn't make a lot of money to even buy real estate, right? I didn't make enough money to go buy a house. And I started seeing all these no money down deals and no money down books and was mostly attracted to them because I had no money. And so I started reading this book about lease options. And there was a book on lease options by an author by the name of Peter Conti. And he was from Denver. And I thought it was awesome because we lived in Denver. So at that time, Peter was hosting a live seminar, a weekend seminar, teaching people how to do what he was talking about in the book, which was lease optioning properties with no money down. 
And so I went to that seminar, all kinds of notes, and I was a really good student as far as if somebody said, go do this, I would just go do it. And so every, every step along the way, I went and did the thing he was telling me to do. And part of that was you'd go find classified ads in the newspaper. You buy all the newspapers and you go circle all these homes for sale and you start calling people. Well, I started doing that. I started looking at homes. Well, one home that I looked at was a lady in downtown Denver and she's this older lady and she wanted to sell her home. I refer to her as the cat lady, right? When, when you think of the cat lady, when she opened the door, there were hundreds of cats, I swear, living in that house. And it wasn't gonna be attractive to many retail buyers. It was in such condition that it needed to be fixed up. And so we ended up deciding to make an offer on the house. And we made an offer to her, just like the course told me to do. And she said, yes. And when she said, yes, I'm like, holy crap, what do I do now? I really don't know what to do past this point. I can't buy the house. I did exactly what Peter told me to do. But one thing I didn't factor in is this is supposed to be a no money down deal. Well, I made the offer as if I'm buying this house for $600,000. And I remember thinking at the time, I don't, I don't want to like bait and switch her. She's a super nice lady. I don't want to back out, but I don't know what to do. So I called Teresa up and Teresa's like, call Peter. Give Peter a call. See what happened. Maybe he's got a good idea for us. And so I called Peter up and he said, congratulations, Sean. This looks like a great deal. I'm looking into it right now. This looks like an awesome house. Thanks for the, the encouragement, but I can't buy it. That's not why I called you to, I didn't get, call you to get verification, it's a good deal. I called you because I can't buy the dang thing. And because I can't buy it, I need your help to cancel it. He said, don't cancel it. He said, when you have a good deal, money will always find a good deal. And that was one of the very first lessons that I learned, which has become, I've, I've seen that over and over and over in the game, but that was my first exposure to a good deal, money will find. And he said, let me make a few phone calls. And there was another investor who did have the cash, who was going to fix up the house. And he said, hey, Sean, this looks like a really good deal. I'm going to buy this contract from you and I'm going to write you a check to buy the contract. How does $19,000 sound to you? And at the time, honestly, I was like, hey, quit messing with me. I'm really not in the mood for jokes. I really do need to sell this contract. I can't close on the house. He said, I'm not messing with you. He said, I'm willing to pay you $19,000 because I'm going to make $150,000 to $200,000 on this deal. And so it's a really good deal for me to pay you $19,000. And he ended up writing me a check for $19,000. I called Teresa up and literally still didn't quite know whether it was real or not and said, hey, let's go to the bank as fast as we can and deposit this. And we waited three days. I remember just, and those three days felt like three months to see if that money was gonna hit our account. On the fourth day, that money hit our account. And that afternoon I went in and quit my job. And that was our introduction into real estate. And we've been doing full-time real estate investing ever since. So right after I quit my job back in early 2000, Teresa and I decided to move back to Utah and really start our real estate investing career, if you will. The, you know, the time we said, hey, we're, we're all in on this. We're gonna take this $19,000 check we just got, and we're gonna put it into some other properties and really start, our goal was to buy houses, fix them up and sell them. And that's exactly what we did. We started a fix and flip business and we started doing it and we just started, we'd take our money, we'd parlay it from one home to the next and then we'd parlay that money into two homes and then to four homes. And it just started to grow. And over a six year period, Teresa and I really had this nice little fix and flip business. And at the time I was this cocky 23, 24 year old that was walking around telling everybody how awesome I was and how I took this money and I quit my job and I, you know, this massive real estate investor in my own mind, you know, my, my view of the world was I was a pretty cool guy. And I remember going to the real estate investment clubs and at the time it really wasn't to learn. I was, I was there to like show off 
right? I, I went there to like stick my chest out and show off a little bit. And I know I rubbed this one guy the wrong way. And his name was George. It's this old guy who was always at every, every meeting. And he came up to me one day and he said, Sean, he said, you gotta quit referring to yourself as a real estate investor. He said, you're not a real estate investor. And my jaw literally about hit the floor. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not a real estate investor? He just crushed my ego. It pissed me off. I was mad at him. And he put his arm around me and he said, Sean, you have a job fixing and flipping homes. If you stop doing that, you stop getting paid. And George explained to me that there's all these different vehicles and lanes in real estate. And he said, if you can't buy real estate that produces monthly income and passive cash flow, that's what an investment is. That's what an investor does. And at the time I started, I really questioned, you know, first of all, it, was, it, it really hurt my feelings. I was really mad at George. And then I went home, I told Teresa, and she's like, maybe he's right. And I started thinking, maybe he is right. Maybe we do need to look into this new vehicle of passive investment real estate. And so we did just that. I took George's advice, even though I didn't want to admit that he was right because I was really upset. But I took that advice and we started building a portfolio of long-term real estate investments. And at the time we only had the ability to buy single family homes. So we started buying single family homes. And over a period of two years, we bought 27 single family properties. And at that time, creating us some passive income, still nothing to brag about. I remember it was somewhere around $3,000 a month, but it was passive. If I didn't do anything, I had some money coming in, which it was nowhere near what we made on our fix and flip business, but it was this exposure to this new world of real estate, which was long-term cash flow producing passive investments, which really started to broaden our horizon and open our eyes to this being an actual investor and buying actual investments. So as we're building up our long-term portfolio, we're still doing our fix and flip business and buying houses, fixing them up and selling them. We've been doing that now for about six years and we started looking into bigger and bigger deals. Well, on the short-term side, the bigger deals that we were looking into happened to be development deals. And at that time, we tried to go borrow some money from a guy in Salt Lake who was a hard money lender, had a capital company. And Teresa and I went and met him and uh, super nice guy, super nice to us, and really was, we thought for sure we were in the bag, he was gonna lend us this money. We got a phone call, he said, Sean Treza, we're not gonna lend you the money. We don't wanna lend you the money, but we want you, we're working on this big project, and we want you to come help us, and we want you to come work for us and work on the marketing and sales side of life. And at the time, he started telling us about it, it was this private ski and golf resort, just super exclusive, really, really expensive, and really exciting project, but completely out of our wheelhouse, this lifestyle that we've never been exposed to. And so we decided to do it. We decided to take on this new adventure. So we decided to, now you know, we're young, we don't have kids, we're, we're ready to go, let's go do it. So we tried this, this new adventure and that, it was exactly that, this huge adventure. You know, these were 25, $30 million properties. We had our own private jet. We had two private jets actually at the airport and our job, was to sell this lifestyle. So we had this unlimited budget. In fact, one time I remember going to Vegas for a dinner and there's 10 of us and we always had private rooms. One of the, one of the guys we were with was a big wine guy. And I remember we, we went out and he found this bottle of wine that was really, really rare. 
ended up ordering their $5,000 bottles of wine. He ended up ordering five bottles of wine for the 10 of us. I got the bill, it was $50,000 bill. So that gives you an idea of how exclusive and how lavish this like lifestyle was. And getting exposed to this new world on the resort real estate side of life, albeit the really high-end world, and understanding how important the lifestyle was and how important the experience was. And then one day in June of 2008, it came to a screeching halt. The owners of the resort got indicted on securities charges and literally everything shut down overnight. So we got really used to this lavish lifestyle that just felt like it was pulled out from under us. The, the gravy train stopped. And as much money as we were making, the, the sad part about it is I was this cocky 30 year old who thought the gravy train was never gonna stop. And I never, never in a million years would have imagined that all of a sudden it's gonna go away and it went away. And I didn't have anything saved up and didn't have enough to keep paying our house payments, didn't have enough to keep paying our car payments. And all of a sudden people are knocking on our door. All of a sudden the bank's calling us. During that time, I was upset, I was mad. I was like, this is not my fault. You know, I'm, I'm playing this victim role of, I was cheated to, I was lied to. This is somebody else's fault, not mine. And when, that, when you're in that victim mentality, you're just looking around to blame somebody. And even though I wasn't making my payments, it didn't feel like it was right that they could take my house. Well, when you do this and you throw yourself a six month pity party, that's what happens, right? All of a sudden you have nothing. We, we lost our house, we moved into a rental. My parents lent us one of their vehicles and I would walk in and out of uh, drive-through windows when nobody was there and pick up change. I didn't have any credit cards. I, I can, I mean, countless times going to the grocery store and Teresa and I thinking, okay, how much is actually in our account for our debit card? Will it actually go through? I can't tell you how many times during that time somebody said, Sir, you don't have enough money. This is getting declined. And so you go through this and you have to figure out what are you going to do? And when you're in the victim mentality like I was and I was blaming everybody else, you don't think clearly enough to think that there's another option. You're just, you're kind of there like, what's gonna happen? So during this whole time, Teresa, Teresa went through all of this together, the ups and downs, the, the ins, the outs, and we're losing everything. And I, I remember looking back at it, even talking about it now, thinking, I don't really even know how she felt. I don't know that I asked her how she felt. I mean, how scared she must have been. And I don't even remember having that conversation. But I do remember sitting at the kitchen counter. I was in this moment of surrender. And I remember putting my head in my hands and just thinking, what next? What's the next step? And and I happened to have a magazine on the table of that counter. And I grabbed the magazine and I just started thumbing through it. I, I opened it to this page and there was an ad about a real estate conference coming up. And this was uh, hosted by this guy named Craig Proctor. And he was the number one real estate agent in the world. He was a Remax agent selling tons of homes. And he was gonna host a super conference that you could come to and you could learn how to sell real estate like he did. And I had never sold real estate. I've always been in the real estate game, and I, but I'd never sold real estate like to sell as an agent. And, but I had my license and Teresa had her license. And I, I'll never forget, it, there was a quote on that page and it, it, it was just like it was just in neon lights staring at me right back in the face and it said, take responsibility for your life and you will take control of your life. 
And I remember sitting there looking at that page thinking, I mean, I've got to do this. I've got, I've got to, I've got to do this. And I went to Teresa and I showed her and I, I, it was, it wasn't even a question. I don't know if it was because she was just so excited that I was excited about something. She's like, let's do it. Let's go. And we'll figure out how to get there. I said, we're going to Florida. We're going to meet this guy. He's going to show us how to sell real estate. And I believe that that was something, uh, you know, a moment where that, that quote, it was more than just the, the ad on the page of selling real estate. It was what I needed to hear of take responsibility for your life and you can take control of your life. And that is what I needed to hear at that time. And I went and I said, hey mom, I need to borrow your credit card. My mom was just like Teresa, like there was no resistance. There was like, they're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're here for you. Let's, let's do it, figure out what you need to do. It was a thousand dollars to get in the conference. And it was, you know, we had to pay our, our airline tickets to go to Florida. And I remember my mom, I borrowed the money for on her credit card, put it on her credit card. I didn't think it all the way through. I told you before, I was walking through drive up windows getting change. When we were at the super conference and they tell, you know, they tell the story now is it, and we kind of all laugh about it, but I would walk for three days. I would walk the hallways of the hotel and Teresa and I would get our food because we would just go to the trays of everybody setting their room service that, that they were done with. And we would just go collect our meals off of the used room service trays. And so it wasn't an easy thing for us to do. It felt like there was, there was no way we weren't going to do this and there was no way we weren't going to succeed. Well, we went to the conference. It took four pages of notes and every single day and writing as fast as I could and, and absorbing as much information as I could. And ultimately, at the time, again, I have zero money and I committed to hire Craig as a mentor for $2,000 a month. At the time I had nothing. So Craig's super conference was in April, 2009. By June of 2009, we had our first six closings. As soon as we got home, we went right to work. We were not going to let this, we were not going to let anything stand in our way. We we're going to make this happen. So we went from having no money to by June, having six figures in the bank again and making money and we just never looked back. In 2009, we won the Rookie of the Year Award. In 2010, we win a Quantum Leap Award. 2011, we win another Quantum Leap Award. We're selling tons of houses. In Utah, we got nominated for the Large Sales Team of the Year and things are going well. Things are rolling and they're progressing and we're putting money in the bank and we're, we're back in action as far as real estate goes. However, Teresa and I were really struggling personally. Early in our marriage, we realized we had fertility issues and it was difficult for us to have kids. And we never really addressed it head on because we were busy building our careers and busy hustling and grinding and trying to put money in the bank and all these things that we thought were so important. And we never addressed the fertility issues really directly. And in 2009, we really started to have those conversations and we said, we want to have a family. We want to start a family. Let's take this a little bit more serious. So we started going to fertility doctors and they had us on all kinds of different things. They put Teresa on lots of different drugs. Um, Clomid was one that was always, she was always on and, and it's a tough drug to be on if you're a woman. And we did a lot of stints with IUI with no success. Nothing was really working. So at that time, we're going through all of this and I really started to question whether kids were even in the cards for us. Maybe this was another sign. Maybe this was a sign that that we had to deal with the, the hand that was dealt us and maybe kids weren't part of that. And at that exact same time, we were going to all these different doctors and we had found out we had to do a number of tests. All these things weren't working. 
and we did some more extensive testing and we found out that my sperm actually didn't have a protein enzyme that was able to break through the shell of the egg. And so we really only had one option that was, that was available at that time. And it was in vitro fertilization, but it was a very new procedure on top of in vitro fertilization called ICSI. And what that was is they actually take a really microscopic needle and poke through the shell of the egg to fertilize the egg. And, and then they start that in vitro process. It came with about a, a little over $100,000 price tag. It's not covered by insurance. You have to pay for it up front. And in my, my mind, I'm saying that's, that's our sign, Teresa. I don't want to, you know, I think that maybe, maybe we need to run down a different road. You know, we just barely started getting back on our feet. We finally have some money in the bank. And, you know, I'm embarrassed to even repeat those words coming out of my mouth. But that was the reality. And that was the person I was back then. You know, you don't know what you're gonna miss. And you don't know what you're saying no to. And so, you know, that's, in my world, I, I didn't think that was in the cards. And luckily for me, Teresa is a very determined woman. That wasn't an option. But I remember talking to Teresa about it. And again, the, there was lots of kind of arguments. I'm a very strong-willed person, and I just had set in my head that this is not the, not the road we want to run down, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant my flag in the sand and draw a line in the sand and we're, we're not going to do this. And I remember a conversation we had and she was like this confident, poised person. And I, it's almost like I can watch the conversation from outside, like I was standing above her. And she just told me, this is, this is what we need to do. And I was ready to fight. I was ready to argue. I was ready to say no. And I couldn't. It, it couldn't come out. And her, her delivery just almost wrapped me up like a warm blanket or something. And we went ahead and we did this, this new procedure and we wrote the check and it had a 20% chance of working. And on May 16th, 2011, we were blessed with birth of Wyatt and Grace, two healthy babies who changed my life forever. Sorry. So this person I was before Wyatt and Grace was gone forever. That selfish, cocky person was becoming a distant memory. And I no longer worried about all of those selfish material things that gave me so much value in the past. And I really started asking myself different questions. Questions that I had never thought about before. What kind of example did I want to be for White and Grace? What legacy did I want to start to leave? What experiences and world did I want White and Grace to be a part of and grow up in? And I didn't have the answers to these new questions, but I started to ask different questions. I knew how to hustle and make money, and we continued to do so as we we're growing our family. And Teresa and I decided that she was gonna get out of the day-to-day -day of the business and start to stay home with the kids and spend time with them. And at this point, I had really started to transition out of selling real estate for a living and started to get into investing more full-time and getting into bigger development deals and building homes, but there was still something missing. And every year on Wyatt and Grace's birthday, we take this trip to Hawaii to spend the week celebrating, and I really try to disconnect from work for the most part. On one particular trip, there were three messages that life began to throw at me and set me on this new path. 
And at that time, Wyatt and Grace were four years old and we were sitting on the beach in Hawaii and I took a work call and I was visibly frustrated to Wyatt. And when I hung up, immediately he came up to me and asked me, grabbed my hand and said, Dad, why don't you just sell real estate in Hawaii? And obviously it's a simple question, but he's thinking if it's frustrating at home, works frustrating at home, come to Hawaii because it's way better. It's a vacation spot, right? And during that time, Idaho Tourism Department was also running this ad campaign called 18 Summers. And the point of that ad campaign is we only have 18 summers with our kids and it goes faster than we, we realize and we need to spend that time with them while we can. The third thing, I had also just watched a speech by Tony Robbins telling a story about his friend Robin Williams and how Robin Williams delivered so much joy and happiness, yet he had this, this internal turmoil and did the unthinkable and committed suicide. And the point of the story about Robin Williams that Tony was saying was success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And this trifecta of Wyatt's question, Idaho's ad, and Tony Robbins' speech was echoing in my mind and really driving me crazy. I had many sleepless nights at that time trying to figure out what I loved, what all of this meant, and what I wanted to do with my life. And I've always loved real estate investing and I've always loved the vacation and resort side of life because of the amazing memories those types of properties represent. And in that summer of 2015, Vodacy began to form as an idea in my mind. There were many challenges that I faced and it definitely didn't happen overnight. But I had this new definite purpose with a solid reason why fueling all of my actions. I wanted to build a legacy that I was proud of. I wanted to help other people along the way. I wanted to help people just like me, average, everyday people looking to make an impact and a difference in their own lives. I knew that lifestyle assets were the right fit for us the minute that I began on this journey because they checked off many boxes for me. Lifestyle freedom, financial freedom, amazing experiences with the people we love. And I began to take massive action every day to turn this idea into a reality. And it became easy to make decisions based on faith, not fear. When you operate out of fear, you focus on the problems and the failures. But when you operate with faith, you focus on the opportunities and the success. And I'm sharing this story with you not to convince you to invest in vacation rentals. I'm sharing this story with you to inspire you, to ask yourself what fulfills you. What legacy do you want to build and start living today? What impact can you have on yours and your family's lives if you take action chasing your dreams? I realize now that wealth is not a measure of your bank account. Wealth is the way you live your life. I wake up each day hoping to inspire someone to work towards building a life that inspires them. I hope to inspire you to make your dreams a reality. If vacation rentals are part of that dream, I hope to be a part of that journey with you. We are all blessed with specific events and people in our lives that deliver these messages to us exactly what we need to hear when we need to hear them. And I've been fortunate to have met some of the most amazing people on this journey that we call life. And I've been so inspired by so many of them. And none have shaped me more than the three amigos, my beautiful wife, Teresa, my son, Wyatt, and my daughter, Grace. My amazing kids, Wyatt and Grace, who changed the way I looked at everything. They inspire hope and confidence with their innocence and curiosity. They have this what if, can't fail attitude that dares me to dream big. Every day is a new adventure and I will be forever a better person because of them. My beautiful wife, Teresa, has been with me every step of the way through the ups and the downs, the beautiful and the ugly. She's the first to call me on my bullshit. She will challenge me and tell me no when I need to hear it most. 
but she's my fiercest supporter. She's pushed me to chase my dreams. She never second guesses me when I failed and never says I told you so. She loves me unconditionally even when I don't deserve it. And I will spend the rest of my life saying thank you for encouraging me to live a life saying I'm glad I did instead of I wish I had. I hope this message is one that inspires you to chase your dreams and live your life saying I'm glad I did instead of I wish I had.